0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: Look with me now in Malachi, and chapter 4, and look at um, uh, uh, this last paragraph in the Old Testament canon. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever, and by his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated, and then turn in your Bibles right over to Luke chapter 1 Page 855, Luke chapter 1, and you'll be right there. But now let's get to this. um, No news, from no news to good news. That's the focus this Advent season. From no news, what am I speaking of? I'm speaking of the fact that God has not spoken for 400 plus years. He has not spoken for 400 plus years. In other words, as you read your Bible, and you go through that Old Testament, and you get to the last book of the Old Testament, that great Italian prophet Malachi, no, that's Malachi, okay, Malachi, and you get to Malachi, and as you're there, you get to the end of it, and you turn the page, and there's Matthew. Well, that empty page in your Bible is over 400 years. For the, let me try to give you, that's longer than the entire American experiment of settling North America to this day. Longer than that. God silent. No word from heaven. For 400 plus years. And that's not the first time. It's the second time. As God set aside his people and gave his promises to Abraham, he told him that after the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the days of Joseph, the people would go into 400 years of affliction and silence in Egypt. Now, when we pick up Luke chapter 1, there has been 400 years of affliction and silence. 400 plus years. And what's interesting is as God breaks his silence, the no news becomes good news. Now, how do we know? Why would I say no news becomes good news? Because when he breaks his silence, what are the first four books of the New Testament? What do they call? The gospels. Good news. Good news. God who has now spoken in the latter days in his son has in his son fulfilled everything he spoke in the former days. But for 400 years, no prophets, no angelic messengers, no word from heaven, no Uh, No word from the patriarchs for 400 plus years. Silence. Now comes good news. And almost every time when we come to this in the Advent season, where do we start? Well, we start with the birth of Jesus. But interestingly. In the Gospels, God chose an author. Of the third Gospel, Luke. Luke. Now, this Luke likely was a Gentile. He's a physician. He's identified as a physician. He's clearly a historian. He writes this 33-year account of the life of Jesus. He will follow it up, dedicated to the same one that he dedicates this to, Theophilus. He will follow it up with another 33-year history of the of the indwelt body of Christ, having given us the thirty three years year history of the incarnate body of Christ, as Christ came to accomplish and fulfill the Messianic promises. Now, after his ascension, he gives us a thirty three year history of the initial stages and work of the body of the indwelt body of Christ, his church. But here, where does he begin? Now Mark and John do not go directly to the historical narratives of the birth of Jesus. That's not where they start. We're dependent upon Matthew and Luke for information on the infancy of Jesus, for the what we call the infancy, the Advent infancy narratives. But the heavy lifting is given to Luke. Matthew will give us some account of the genealogy of Jesus, Uh, and his adopted father, Joseph. Luke will give us the genealogy of his appointed mother, Mary. But Luke will give us a fuller explanation of what is happening in the days of infancy. And you find it in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5 all the way through chapter 2 and verse 24. But he doesn't start as Matthew does with the birth of Jesus. He starts the infancy narratives With the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter one. Just stop and think about this, that God has called this Luke to be with him. He has been discipled by, he has been discipled by Paul. And while Paul is in prison in Israel at Caesarea by the sea in those days, Luke began to scour And do interviews. He did his primary research. He went to eyewitnesses. And wrote the gospel so that we might be. Here's what he says. Certain about the things. Of the Messiah. And where does he start his account? He starts his account. With the birth. Of John the Baptist. And in so doing. There are four times. That God speaks prior, or as, leading up to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. All four times he speaks through angels, three times through a singular angel, two times of those three times through a singular angel will be Gabriel, and then a host of angels will lead the shepherds. And what I propose to do is to go through those four times that God breaks silence. And interestingly, the first time is given to Luke to record in the sovereign hand of God giving us his holy word. And it comes to us as an angel comes to a man named Zechariah. Now, I want you to go through this with me. If you would, would you take it? But let me stop right here. Let me just give you one, just a couple more thoughts. You know, one of the beautiful things is, um, you know, I, I, I meet, you know, people that they go on the keto diet. And they, therefore, they order these sandwiches and then they throw away the bread. Well, don't do that in your Bible. OK, uh, when you start to eat the rich nourishment, the bread sets it apart. Don't miss the fact, and I'll try to draw this out as we get to Christ Sunday, and everything comes to the infancy, glorious uh, statement of praise to God with Simeon and Anna. Where? In the temple. And where does Luke start? In the temple. Here, these infancy narratives come packaged. With God speaking in the place of appointed dwelling in his temple to Zechariah, it ends with God speaking glorious praise to his name as the glory of the Lord fills this temple when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus. And the encounter with Simeon and Anna. This is a obvious hand of God in the literary arrangement of this. But there's something even more obvious as to how God breaks silence. And I want you to see that with me by going through the text. Would you look with me in Luke chapter one? You could read the prologue at your, uh, in your own research, but go down to verse five. Luke has done his research, and now he begins to write about the life and ministry of the Messiah. And he starts in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judah. Now, that's a very interesting statement. Uh, That's not where we left off. When we left off in the Old Testament, it was the kings of Persia that were being identified, who were ultimately over and in control. Now we've got a king by the name of Herod. This is the very same Herod the Great. He is in his 34th year of reign at this point in time. He is in his 34th year of reign. Why? Because Rome appointed him. And why was Rome in power? Because the hand of God had fulfilled uh, his promises and his prophecy. Now, listen to me. God has been silent for 400 years, but God has not been silent about what would take place in those 400 years. If you go read his his prophets like we're studying tonight. Zechariah. Haggai. Malachi. And go back to Daniel. What happens in that 400 years? Daniel's already laid it out for you in chapter 2. He's laid it out for you in chapter 3. He's laid it out for you in chapters seven, and eight, and nine, and to some degree, chapter 11. Those 400 years have already been displayed, and they have been fulfilled. The Assyrian Empire was followed by the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Medo-Persian Empire that was followed by the extended Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, that now was followed by Rome, and when and at this point, when, when uh, this point of Herod the Great rule Rome has now been in power over the people of God and his, their oppression and affliction and adversarial posture for 58 years. And at the and now we are hearing of Herod the Great, who is in his 34th year, appointed by Rome to take care of this troublesome area. And so here he stands with these these empires that have flowed that have been that were predicted in the book of Daniel uh and they now uh, come to fulfillment and now we're at the Roman Empire and there stands Herod the king of Judea and now there was a priest named Zechariah now so we now know that Zechariah is a priest that means he is a son of Aaron And that means that um, more than likely, maybe this might be an enticement for you to come back, my guess is he got his name from the guy we're studying who was also a priest and a prophet. His name was Zechariah that we're studying on Sunday nights. That's likely how he got his name. People in certain tribes usually got the names of the most famous patriarchs in that tribe. And so likely that's how he got his name, Zechariah. It's a very important name. It means um, that the Lord, uh, that the Lord is my provider. The Lord is my provider. And so now Zechariah is there. What is he doing? Here's what we're told. According to the custody, um, I'm sorry, um, of the division of uh, uh, that here is Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, here's some good encouragement for all of you who in January are going to start reading through the Bible because, well, for many reasons, I suggest you do it at least every five years, read through the Bible. Now, you got to, you'll have a hard time, you know, you'll kind of be wanting to kind of stop around Leviticus and uh, Numbers, but stay with it. And then another time that it gets a little difficult is 1 Chronicles. Now, here's your encouragement. How do we know this is historic? You know, isn't it interesting? Luke does not go and sit in a cave and dream up Christianity and Jesus. <laughs> he did his research. He interviewed. We call it primary research. He did all of his work and he comes back and he puts all this stuff in the context of history. That the Gospels are not mystical speculation, their historical actuality. You can go check the dates and the people and the places. So here's Herod. He fits in history. And here is Zechariah. He happens to be of, uh, there, there were in fact, um, a number of uh, 20 plus divisions of the Levites and the priests, whether well, the Levites and 20 plus divisions of the priests. Not every priest was a Levite. And in those divisions of the priest, uh, there were the eighth division was the division of Abijah. And you knew that because you forged right through your reading in First Chronicles. You didn't falter in the days that it said, David set in order the people and their duties in the temple and he divided the he divided the he appointed the levites for what they were to do and then in first chronicles chapter 24 he appointed the priest and their duties and 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 he assigned the duties to the division and the division of abijah is the division that zechariah comes from he is numbered with them and, uh, and by the way, this, there's approximately, according to Edersham, there were likely, uh, I'm sorry, according to Josephus, there was likely about 20,000 of these priests in the day of Zechariah uh, who would come to their appointed time to do their duty. When you take the divisions... Each division usually got called on duty two times for two weeks every year. But all of them, it was all hands on deck during the the weeks of the feasts. So seven times a year, they all were there to serve in the temple. But the divisions were usually called up for their duties two times a year, two weeks out of the year. So this is one of the two weeks that... Zechariah is now on duty, and he comes as a part of the division of Abijah. Now, let's go a little bit further with this. And and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and that is, his wife's name was Elizabeth, and that means, in, in God do I hope. So, God provides Zechariah, in God I hope, Elizabeth. She also is of the daughters of Aaron. And then what, what are we told? And um, we are told that, uh, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. In other words, they had a good witness for the Lord. That does not mean they were perfect. That is not, in fact, we're about to find out Zechariah is not perfect. Uh, he has a faltering faith. Uh, Elizabeth, I think, is revealed as imperfect in her speculations in this text. But it does mean in the evaluation of their life, their focus was on the Lord. The, the verdict from people watching them was, hey, these people live under the eye of God. They are Coram Deo, under the eye of God. That's the way they live. And you just can't find anything in their public life to fault them at all. So here they are with a good witness, and then it says, then comes the word but. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, according to Edersham, uh, that means they were, they were at least 60 years old or older. That's advanced in years. Any candidates out here? That was advanced in years uh, at that point. So there are uh, that's that's where they uh that's where we get this initial description. Now while he was serving as priest that is his week is there, while he is serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, that means first Chronicles chapter twenty four is ordained by David, that uh, what does what does he do? Well, we're told he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Well, you got all these all these priests, and they we only need, can use one. And you come up two weeks out of the year, so they would choose by lot which priest would be able. So, for most, Edersham says most of these guys, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity uh, in in their weeks of duty. Given uh, once you've been chosen, you don't go back into the lot process after that. So here he is, and he uh, so now this is his opportunity, and he is there, and he enters the temple of the Lord to burn the incense that was that place within the holy of, uh, within the holies, whereby uh, prayer was to ascend, the burning of the incense would be accompanied by the priest making prayer on behalf of the people before the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, in other words. Uh, unlike most churches, it was prayer meeting. And everybody showed up. That's not the way it usually happens uh, today uh, when you call for prayer. Not many show up, but there the prayer meeting, the hour of incense, the prayer time had come and not only was. Zechariah there to do what he's called to do, but all the people showed up and they surrounded the area as they were praying outside while he goes inside to pray for them. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Well, there he is. It seems as if he hasn't really gotten hardly started. But then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, this angel is going to be named in just a few moments. And as he appeared on the right side of the altar of incense, you can tell Luke's done his research. He doesn't say just appear, he appeared on the right side. You're given just where he stood. And as he stands there, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So let's stop right there. So... Zechariah is there before the Lord. He is leading his responsibility, faithfully uh, bringing before the Lord uh, his prayer. Now, this is a great family, right? I mean, sons of Aaron, pretty good pedigree. Uh, he's a priest, pretty good pedigree. His wife, they got a good testimony. Uh, there's only one shadow. They dwell in darkness. God's silent. Under affliction. Adversity. Oppression. The echoes. From the days of Joseph. And then here. It, here he is. But he's faithful. And he's praying. Got one shadow. We don't have the child we've always wanted. And we're past time. We're advanced in years. But. But. While that obviously concerned them, because it's mentioned to Luke in his interviews. It did not concern them to the point that their faithfulness to the Lord had been stilted. And they were certainly working through it. But they've come to grips and they're trusting the Lord. And then he comes into the place to prayer, pray. And an angel comes. I believe that angels have to get training. And I think angel training number one. Learn when to say, do not fear. Because every time someone meets an angel, what happens? Fear. Terror. Why? The eternal has stepped into the temporal. Light from the one who was in the presence of God, has now come to the presence of Zechariah. Light has come into darkness. Hope has come into despair. And the result, whenever that happens, whether it's an angel or a miracle, is people go face down. Get up. Do not fear there's plenty of reason to fear. For the presence of God has come. And apart from his grace, who can stand before him? And so here in the presence of this angel, he is told not to fear. And in that statement, do not be afraid, Zechariah, comes a statement. For your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And then he says this, which means God is about to answer your prayer. And then he says this, your prayer has been heard. And you and you and your wife, Elizabeth, she will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, folks, I know what you've all heard here, and I'm going to be somewhat contrarian I do not believe John was praying for a son. I believe John, as much as he wanted a son, as much as he wanted a child, in that stewardship of that moment, he had bigger things to bring before the Lord. Besides their past childbearing age, well, what about Abraham and Sarah? I'm well aware that, that the Bible's got us Abraham and Sarah. And I'm well aware that now we've got a New Testament counterpart with John and Elizabeth. But he had no promise. Abraham had had a promise. John, I mean, Zechariah has been given no promise. He just wants a son. But now they're advanced in years. What would he have been praying about? Well, right outside the temple is a man that we're going to study on Christ Sunday. His name is who? Simeon. What is he praying for? God, bring the consolation of Israel. I believe when Zechariah went to pray, he went to pray according to the promise of God. He's calling for the presence of God to deliver his people. That's what he's praying for. And it's that prayer that the angel says has been heard and God is going to answer. And the glorious blessing that is coming with it, God is going to answer that prayer by giving you the son you don't have. He will not only your son's birth through this providential miracle will not only be a symbolic pointing to the supernatural miracle of a virgin conception. But your son will be the declaration that God has heard your prayers to send his son. I believe Zechariah is praying what you and I pray. At least I hope we do. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's promised to come. We want him to come. I believe he's praying God's will back to him. The promised Messiah. Who will deliver his people and bring light to darkness. Bring hope to despair. And bring the eternal into the temporal. I believe that's what he's praying for. And he's now been instructed. God is going to answer that prayer. And here is an affirmation of that truth that he's sending his son. You will have a son. And you will call his name John. And this son that you will have is the declaration that God is answering your prayer and he is going to be the instrument for God to accomplish his promises in his son. Because you are going to have a son that has a ministry that was promised to make ready the way of the Lord. Now, do you see why I had you read Malachi? Malachi. What is the last recorded words where God spoke 400 years before? In the canon of Scripture, the last recorded words were, There will come one, a prophet, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And who is John the Baptist but the fulfillment of that prophecy? Even Christ himself tells us he is The one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what will he do? He will turn the hearts of fathers to the children. And the hearts of children to the fathers. Okay. Do I believe that has application to your home? The institution of the family? Yes. But I don't think... That's what the promise is. That's a blessing of the promise. I believe it is looking at the family of God. When John the Baptist comes, he will lead the way of revival and repentance. He will turn. He will call for repentance. And now the fathers of the faith, it's not about them. It's about the Lord for the children of God. And the children under that ministry of the Lord through fathers will turn their lives to the fathers. So leadership and fellowship are united in repentance and renewal for the coming of the Lord. That's where he's pointing us. Now, one of the reasons I say that is because it's clear that while we can see blessings in homes when people come to Christ and praise God for that. Jesus also warned us that when you come to him, there'll be a division between fathers and their children and mothers and their children and children and their parents. This is speaking of something that ought to be at work in the family of God. John the Baptist, in preparing the way of the Lord, is calling the fathers of the faith to repentance and to love the children for the Lord and to the Lord. And the children to hear and honor the fathers of the faith as they lead them to the Lord. And that's what he calls him to see and to do. In this opening of the Advent season, according to the gospel of Luke. Look with me further. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. In other words, he is going to have an impact. He is going to have an effective ministry in this call to repentance by the fathers of the faith and the children in the faith. For he will be great before the Lord. Jesus himself said, No man greater has been born among women than John the Baptist. And he will, uh, and he uh, must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Please come next week. I'll give you that moment. Even from his mother's womb, and by the way, there is a glorious encouragement that by and large God saves people through the means of grace when they hear the word and come to faith in Christ. But God can extraordinarily save people even when they are not yet able to hear the word as he did with John the Baptist in the womb and brought him to spiritual life right within the womb. And will anyone argue with me about the personhood Of the one in the womb from this text. And he will, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How? By turning the fathers to the children and the children to the Lord through the fathers. And he will go before him in the spirit that is before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turned the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. How many times have we looked at church history to see gospel awakenings come from revival, and revival comes from reformation in the leadership of Christ church. That's, that's the ministry of John the Baptist. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Well, folks, obviously he somewhere had heard the Sunday school statement. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Instead of what he needed to have heard, God said it. What? That settles it. Now believe it. But he faltered in faith. And Zechariah said to the Lord, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. Men, hold it. Side, this is a point without a point because I love all of you men here. Take note. What does he say about himself? This isn't hard. I'm old. What did he say about his wife? He didn't say she was old. He found marital correct language. My wife is somewhat advanced in years. My wife is mature. I'm old. She's mature. And the angel answered him. Now we know who he is. I am Gabriel. By the way, who is the last named angel before God went silent to speak to Daniel? Gabriel. Who is the first angel that God uses to break his silence? Gabriel. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Now you know why terror comes, because the one who is in the presence of God is the one who came to the presence of Zechariah. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this, what? No news to good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time." And the people were waiting for Zechariah. I mean, we're glad to show up for the prayer meeting, but this was turning into a long one. Where are you? Well, Zechariah, who had gone a little over time. I'm glad to know some people do that. And there he is. He comes there waiting for him. And behold, you will be silent unable to speak. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So now we find out he not only can't speak, he can't hear. They're having to make signs to him. And when his time of service was ended, notice he didn't... Uh, He didn't run because of trauma. He finished his responsibility. He went to his home. After these days, his wife conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I do this with fear and trembling, but I'm going to do it. You see a godly man falter in his faith when he heard the word. And the result was silence. He couldn't speak. You also hear a woman. And I understand why. Has interpreted. The fact that she doesn't have a child. As a judgment upon herself. And nothing could be further. And the truth God's special plan was a providential miraculous birth that would prepare the way for the one who would come through the supernatural miraculous conception and then birth so where are we and how do we end and because I've got to end let me just give you a couple of thoughts and takeaway. I. Uh, here's what I would just share with you, God's silence, just try to make this as clear as I can. Here's the first takeaway. The silence of God is not the absence of God. When I was growing up, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. Uh, well, Simon wrote it. Garfunkel's basically sung it called the sounds of silence. God is not speaking But you can hear his sounds for 400 years. How did Zechariah and Elizabeth get out of the captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem? How did the temple that he's ministering in ever get built from which Herod the Great would embellish it? How did they ever reclaim the division of Abijah without it being lost and scattered like the ten tribes? How did all of that happen? That's the sovereign hand of God. That's the sovereign hand of God at work. You can hear the sounds of his movement, even though he has not yet spoken. How did that lot fall on Zechariah that day? Please don't tell me that you've read that and said, oh, it was really lucky that Zechariah got the lot. This is the sovereign hand of God at work. God's sovereignty is at work. How did Zechariah get in the division of Abijah? How did we get a division of Abijah that would get Zechariah to this place by a lot? But God moved upon David. Here is the thread of God's providence, the sovereign hand of God at work. And yes, 400 years have gone by. But look, here is a prophecy in Malachi 4. Here is an opening description of the first time God speaks fulfilling the prophecy. In other words, God gave the prophecy and the next thing you hear from God is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He just picks up where he laid off and he brought the fullness of his word and the promise has been made. Four hundred years, listen, with the Lord, what? A day's like a thousand. That That's not a formula. Okay, every thousand years is one day for God. That's not a formula. Or one day is thousand years for God. No. That's not what it is. What it's telling you is God is not confined and not defined by time. He does things at the right time, which he ordains every time. And God answers prayers. I know we, here's what we'll say. Well, yeah, I've been praying about it, but God hadn't answered it. Oh, yes, he has. He's got three answers. Yes, no, keep praying. And Zechariah is making a prayer that's been prayed for 400 years. God, speak. Come, send the word. In these latter days, speak in your son. God said, no, it's not time. Then he said, yes. No, it's not time. Keep praying. Yes, now it is the time. Notice this sovereign God is not limited. God is not limited by the frailty of the faltering faith of his people. Here is the faltering faith Of a godly admirable man. He's a faithful man. But he faltered. But that didn't. Stymie the purposes of God. God is not limited. Nor detoured. By the frailties. Of his people. Or the faltering faith. Of his people. And when God's. Let me just maybe end it this way. When God speaks, those who do not believe will be marked by silence. But those that do believe cannot and will not be silent or silenced. Brothers and sisters, this is, I think, very important. I don't have time. May I ask you to do some research for me? Go home. Go to the end of the chapter and read the benediction of Zechariah. When John the Baptist is born, his wife says, John's his name. He had told her. He named his child. But they heard Elizabeth and said, you don't have anybody named John in your background. What are you doing, John? How about Zechariah, Jr.? And then in the wax covered wooden tablet, Zechariah writes, his name is John. And he is loosed from his silence. He can now hear. He can now speak. And he can now declare the Lord and read what he says. Oh, I wish I had time to read it. I don't. Please go home and read it. He can't stop praising God and telling the world the consolation of Israel has come. Here comes the very seedbed of Calvin's motto for life. Out of darkness, light is shining. Eternity has broken into time. Heaven has come to the earth. Hope has come to the despair. Deliverance is coming for the people of God. And he will bring Christ to the people just as his son will bring Christ to the people. And the people to Christ. Those who believe. Will not be marked by silence. The deaf will hear. The lame will leap. leap, The dead will live. The blind will see. And they will bless. The name of the Lord. Give praise to the Lord and they'll bless others by bringing Christ to them and bringing them to Christ. You know, not those who have heard the word with faltering faith, but those who hear the word with saving faith will not be silent. They will lift up praise to God in the assembly of the people of God. And nothing is more important And from that assembly, they will scatter to bring the light to darkness, the hope to despair, and the Savior who saves sinners. Father, thank you for the moments we could be in your word. Would you please speak to our hearts, even as we sung in prayer at the beginning? Father, I pray anyone here who does not have saving faith in Christ. I pray that you would be at work in their lives. The dead will live. The lame will leap. The deaf will hear. And the mute will speak. Jesus, I come. Praise God. Who has given me the Savior. Who I give myself to him. If you'd like to pray with someone. Please see us. There'll be people up here at the front. To pray with you. Come to Jesus. Oh God please send us. Into this world for Jesus. That we might go. That the people who dwell in darkness. Might hear. We who. Who. Hear the word with faltering faith, marked by our silence, our apathy in worship and witness. Please fill us. Please send your spirit upon us, even as you did with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And may we have our confidence in a sovereign, saving, sealing, securing, sanctifying, and sending God of glory and grace, Jesus give you praise in the assembly and speak good news to those who have no news. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.